Welcome to the Passionate Spirit Social Club. My name's Meg, and I will be your host and your guide. I've always loved exploring different facets of life, from art, psychology, science, spirituality, and so many more. I'm here because I want to inspire you and to share new perspectives through conversations with passionate people. Today, I'm meeting with Anika Cortez, She is a half-American, half-Portuguese traveler, facilitator, and coach of many modalities. She specializes in several different practices, such as yoga, breathwork, and meditation sessions, as well as ecstatic dance and other movement practices. In today's conversation, we're going to be talking about grief, where Anika shares her personal story with grief and shares how we can move through hard feelings through things such as dance and yoga, breathwork and meditation. Without further ado, let's dive into today's conversation. Hello and welcome. Hey. <laughs> so good to have you. <laughs> it's good to be here. Yay. <laughs> so Anika, uh, we're going to talk about grief and we're going to talk about breath work, yoga, movement, and how all of these can kind of weave together. And I wanted to ask you what your relationship to grief and loss is in the first place. What is kind of the biggest theme in your life or maybe experiences in your life that has caused you to have this relationship with grief Mm -hmm. uh well thanks for inviting me and it's a a pleasure to be here um well my relationship with grief is actually quite uh personal i think we all go through this uh, stage in our life where we are grieving a stage either you know getting older and going through a maturity phase or losing someone or grieving, I don't know, an object or anything. It's just, it's all a transformation. Um, and in my case, uh, when I was 16, my mom uh, got breast cancer. So that was very hard for me and for my whole family. Um, we were quite uh, close. Uh, I, I mean, I, 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 I talked to my mom about everything. We were really, really close and good friends. And um, it was hard. But the curious thing was that um, she, well, she's not alive anymore. So this is why I'm talking about this subject. But she could be still alive. Thankfully, she had, um, she had found um, a yoga practice when she was about my age. So like in her 30s. Mm-hmm. So that was something that, really helped her go through her own grief process. Because I think that when you find out that you're going to, well, possibly die, because that's just a state, that's just part of life. Um, When she found out that she had uh, cancer, uh, she decided to practice a lot more than she did regularly. So she practiced every day. Uh, She decided to try, you know, anything from, um, juice fasting to meditating to doing, uh, you know, 
these rituals, going to women's retreats, going to women's circles. I think the only thing she didn't do was, you know, the cacao ceremonies because that wasn't hip at the time, but she would have done that. Even ayahuasca, mushrooms, she would have done all of that. Uh, But this was a a long time ago. This was uh, 2006. Um, So what I, what I tell myself and what I tell other people uh, is that being so starting to do yoga and meditation for her was something that really gave her hope and really gave her uh, a reason to live. And obviously having two uh, daughters. So my sister and I uh, were only three years apart, but at the time I was 16, my sister was uh, 19. Um, And it was really hard for us, but it was harder for me because or not, I'm not going to say what's harder for me, but I lived through it because I lived with my mom and my stepdad at the time. My sister went to college, so um, I'm not even going to say it was, it was, it was just different. We were on the front lines. I was in the front line. Yeah, exactly. Um, But I feel like it was really important for us to go through it together and live through that whole stage together. So I wanted to go to college abroad because my cousins who are American, because I'm half American from her side, I always had this dream of going abroad to study uh, or just to a different city like you do when you're in the States. Uh, But there was always some, there was always like a reason for my mom to keep me closer to her. At least this is like an indirect message that I got from the universe because I wanted to study, uh, you know, I I, I've always lived in, in Sintra, but I wanted to study in Couvlin or in Oporto, so in the north. And she kept saying, oh, no, we don't have enough money. Or, oh, your sister's in the Azores now, so it's not really practical for us. Uh, and so I kind of hold that, mm-hmm. held that against her for a bit. But then I, I felt like it, it really made sense. So because we were both grieving at the same time, when she found out that she was sick, she obviously didn't know when when she was going to go. But she lived 10 years after, after that. So that's a really, really long time. Yeah. That's a really long time. So she didn't, she didn't necessarily, um, transition from, so she didn't necessarily pass away from breast cancer, even though that's what we say, but she had bone cancer. So it passed on to the other vital organs. And that was, yeah, that was really hard to deal with. Um, because, you see a person's, you know, physical integrity, um, you know, going away and you can't really do anything. Um, but we remained super, super close. So I was with her until her final days and with my uh, super close group of friends who, you know, sheltered me, brought food, uh, took me out to drink cafe, to drink coffee or to, you know, drink or smoke or whatever (laughs) and just they tried to entertain me and um so this was uh this was five years ago um and after that uh, so at the time I was I was working as a flight attendant and I think traveling and you know going to different countries and being occupied all the time really gave me uh a lot lots of distractions and that helped um they only gave me like four days off um so I was flying I was working I was going into this you know crazy crazy uh rhythm of work uh till I got to a stage where I just couldn't deal with it anymore so working as a flight attendant we always uh fly with different 
cruise. And there was this day where I was flying with, I don't even remember her name, but all of a sudden we were just drinking and talking and all of a sudden I just break out crying. And I give her a hug and she's like, so maybe you shouldn't be working. <laughs> maybe you should just, you know, relax and go back home and just take a couple of weeks off. So that's what I did. Uh, I actually went to the south, to the south of Portugal, to the Algarve. And I just went into this super intense um, Ayurvedic diet where I was eating like uh, really different foods and juicing and practicing yoga all the time. So that really helped me. But that was also a distraction uh, because I wasn't really connecting to myself at the time. I was just taking this diet to another extent uh so i was distracting myself with other things you know what i mean um mm -hmm. and i think it was only when i did my yoga teacher training uh last year uh that things really started um hitting me and um journaling and uh chanting there was this day that we were just chanting and all of a sudden i start chanting uh i think it was the it was the Kali, Kali mantras, which all have to do with transmutation and, and regeneration um, because she's the goddess of uh, death and transformation that chops up people's heads. <laughs> and all of a sudden, I just start singing about two octaves up. So with a with a higher pitched voice and I just start bawling, just crying. We were all singing with our eyes closed, but I just started crying and crying and crying. Mm. And um, that was another grief process for me because uh, I was thinking of uh, quitting my job at the time as a, as a flight attendant because I was just getting kind of sick, sick of that rhythm. And that's the day that I decided I'm not going to fly any longer for, um, for TAP for the airline I was flying with. And uh, yeah, so I gave them two weeks, two weeks, no, two months notice. Um, and that leads me to where I am right now, uh, working as a yoga teacher, but also doing some other things. I don't really consider myself a yoga teacher. I just consider myself a guide or a facilitator, just someone who's figuring things out. So not, you know, when you, when you say you're a teacher, it, you kind of assume that you know more than other people. And I don't really assume that I know more, it's just that I'm trying to guide people into their own process. Um, mm. so yeah, I may have okay. explained this all very quickly, but <laughs> <laughs> all good. There's a lot to dissect here. Mm -hmm. So it's so interesting that going back to your mom, that I, I feel like when you get the news that, you know, you're going to pass away sooner than you expect. I feel like you don't even think that you're going to have 10 more years. So I feel that that's really special in a way to, even though your mom was diagnosed and went through multiple cancers, she still had 10 years and she made the most of that 10 years despite like grieving her own life alongside you grieving her life as well but it's also interesting that she chose wellness and she chose all these different modalities to really make the best out of her life 
I think that's really beautiful. And it's really beautiful that you were also able to experience that with her. I feel that probably, you know, had a lot of inspiration for you. At the same time, you know, double-sided coin of using it as escapism, but also using it as medicine of, you know, all these yoga practices and breath work and like you were saying the juice cleansing and all that stuff can be used for for any purpose but it's interesting that what was assisting your mom in in the rest of her years you know feeling better was also what was potentially numbing you out or hurting you mm-hmm. and it seems like you've kind of come out the other side of that and recognized how you were relating to these things over time um, and able to turn them back into medicine again I really that's really interesting mm-hmm. thank you for sharing all of that <laughs> um, as well with like the traveling do you feel like the traveling was also you know trying to get away because for so long you couldn't get away Mm -hmm. uh that's a really good question um I actually grew up with um two travelers so my dad worked as a as a pilot um for the same airline I worked for but we we didn't really fly together because he he had already retired at the time that I started working there. Uh, and my mom always loved traveling as well. So I think I kind of inherited that from them. It's always been a passion okay. of mine. And I studied tourism as well. I forgot to mention that. Um, but it was escapism at the time. Um, I just didn't really see it that way. Um, but it wasn't even, it wasn't just that it was also, um, being social and pretending everything was okay when it wasn't. I mean, my God, I even remember, um, when I was in high school because she was diagnosed when I was in, um, second year of high school, um, in Portugal. So the 11th grade. Um, and I, at the time I had my close group of friends, um, even though I was only sort of like more intimate with one or two friends. Uh, the rest was just like social friends, friends that you go and drink and, you know, smoke weed or whatever. <laughs> I don't know if I, if I can say these kinds of things. Um, oh, it's a, it's an open, <laughs> it's an open space. <laughs> okay. Okay. Good. Good. We're going to talk about drugs and stuff at some point. Good. So. <laughs> good, good. Um, but yeah, so, so my group of friends, uh, we would hang out almost every uh, weekend, like religiously. And what I didn't know at the time, but I was um, psychosomatically uh, withholding my grief. So I was holding it in certain areas of my body, um, especially in my heart and my lungs. Uh, So I would drink and smoke and mix those those both both things and I remember uh, at one of the parties I just started bawling crying because someone said something really silly and stupid and it was just but it offended me to the to the extent that I started crying and it sort of like opened up this tunnel of energy where I was okay I can't really leave this 
area anymore. So I just went mm-hmm. downhill completely. So at this party, uh, I lost, um, lost track of everything. The next day I woke up and um, my friends were like, Anika, what the hell? Why didn't you tell me your mom was dying? <laughs> I was like, oh, wow. I was like, oh, she's not dying. She's got cancer, but I don't think she's dying. <laughs> and mm. I mean, one of my best friends almost slapped me in the face and she said, well, you cried for four hours straight and we were all in the bathroom with you and you would stop crying so you could hyperventilate for a bit and then you would go back and cry. And we were just terrified. No one really knew what was happening because everybody was obviously super drunk as well so there was nobody sober there that could kind of be my like shaman (laughs) navigate (laughs) through my emotions so the next day um obviously they were talking to me from a place of concern but I saw that as judgment so Mm -hmm. I went even deeper down into okay I'm not going to share with my friends what I'm going through because I don't feel understood wow um this was so crazy the extents that will go to just not feel pain yeah yeah exactly and I I didn't even realize that um I could have become an addict at the time and I didn't luckily um but now I can understand that it's all part of the process so I'm I'm sort of glad that uh, I went through that really intense night uh it was almost like a spiritual journey but yeah it was like all of your shadows all of your you know dark night of the soul Mm -hmm. kind of energy was like begging to be seen and heard and witnessed um not only by you but apparently other people um it sounded yeah like sounds like you know, this grief manifested in isolation and repression of almost like a denial. Yeah. Um, That's, that's the funny thing. Um, you talking about denial, because, uh, I think at the time I was from my group of friends, I was sort of like the gesture. I was like the, the goofy friend that was always super positive and making everybody laugh. And, um, now I understand that I was just kind of dealing with uh, toxic uh, toxic positivity. So right. I didn't really want to be, you know, in a, in, a, in a shitty turmoil of emotions because I didn't want to feel like I was uh, carrying that weight. And, you know, like you're taking a backpack with all your emotions and all of a sudden you open up the backpack and you put all that stuff on the table and tell your friends, okay, this is how I feel. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's also it's also like putting yourself into this role that no one is necessarily expecting you to fulfill. It's kind of a role that oftentimes we can assume for ourselves mm-hmm. and, you know, because we play these roles in different dynamics, we can deny other parts of ourselves in the process. So, it makes a lot of sense that you were prioritizing, you know, harmony and prioritizing the dynamics that have been prolonged over time and kind of breaking that role can feel uncomfortable because it's very vulnerable. It's, 
it's not a, it doesn't feel safe because it's outside of what we are normally operating in. Um, but it sounds like, you know, it's all in our heads at the end of the day. <laughs> like no one's actually really being like, oh yeah, Anika is, you know, the, the jester, the comic, and she can't feel anything other than happiness and laughter and all this stuff, you know, it's, it's all very self-created and ultimately can be so destru- destructive because your friends were there waiting to support you. It's just something that, you know, there was some resistance there of. Yes, there was. Wanting your grief to be your own mm-hmm. and to not necessarily share the grief because maybe it would, maybe it would hurt other people or maybe it would scare other people or, you know, all of these different potential fears about hurting other people because you're you're you yourself are already hurting so I feel like that's a a really big piece there too of like a weird a weird way of self-preservation I do it too all the time (laughs) I'm like oh I I'm the I'm the mediator I'm the I'm the one who keeps the peace and I can't be the one that's falling apart because who else is going to keep the peace (laughs) exactly and and most of the times we don't even realize that um by opening up and talking about our problems and this is going to sound super cliche but it's true we're we're helping other people open up uh, open up to their vulnerabilities as well because we're serving as an example or we're, hel- we're helping them fulfill this role of like friend slash therapist or being the one that can help and sometimes there are friends that really want to feel like they're needed and um, yeah. yeah and at the time it's it's interesting because um, and I was talking to a friend of mine the other day who also lost her mom uh, a couple of years before I did before I lost mine and we we've been close ever since we were like four and six so she's a couple of years younger than me and um and witnessing so her mom getting sick before my mom was kind of rough but my mom kind of knew okay what this is what can happen and um so I spoke to this friend the other day and she was telling me uh we were just talking about how we sort of compare ourselves to our mothers uh which is super normal and she was telling me, well, well, don't you think that um, you take after your mom in this and this and that? And I was like, no. <laughs> and she was like, well, how do you feel about this subject? Do you feel like this is, do you feel like this is your opinion and this would be your mom's opinion? And it was all about traveling and um, boyfriends or so relationships with, with other people and uh, friendships. And I realized, oh my God, um, I can't even distinguish myself from my mom. And she told me that her um, therapist had told her that um, this is very normal to do when, when you lose a parent is that you try to fill in that void or that, or that gap with what you think that your parent would do. Um, And that's something that I've been doing uh, without even realizing it. So when she told me, trying to like, keep them alive Uh exactly but to this extreme where you're not even being yourself because you can't even you don't even know what you want anymore and um in her case she was talking about um 
the fact that she couldn't really hold on to a relationship for longer than a couple of months. And in my case, it was um, wanting to travel because that's something that my mom did. Uh, but I don't see that as a negative thing, like living abroad for a couple of um, months or a couple of years. Um, and she was telling me, mm, that sounds like something Nancy would say. <laughs> mm. And that kind Wait, of is me. Nancy your mom's name? Yeah. No, my mom's name is Nancy. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> wow. And she's also got the travel bug for sure. Oh, yeah. Well, she's a Sagittarius, so. Okay, there you go. There we go. <laughs> to move into more of the the movement mm-hmm. in relation to change right and moving through moving through changes losses and moving the grief moving the uncomfortable feelings of you know letting something go but through movement specifically you know, with yoga and dance, I would love to hear, I would love to hear more about this from you. Okay. Well, um, ever since I was little, I've always loved to move. My mom would call me, um, you know, like a little flea because I was always jumping around and doing all sorts of things. Um, I love that visual. Yeah, yeah. Or a Mexican junk, jumping bean. That's what my aunt used to call me. Um <laughs> And actually, my mom and my aunt, um, they both uh, practice a lot of yoga. Uh, so in the 70s, and another aunt of mine as well. Um, and every summer I would go, so whenever I went to visit my mom's family in Atlanta, I would go and um, sort of be a fly on the wall and uh, see them practicing yoga. But I always called it like old ladies yoga. <laughs> Actually, they called it old, lady, <laughs> old ladies yoga, uh, but it was it's hatha yoga ultimately. Um, I don't know what they were expecting that I would be interested in doing. Maybe something a little bit more active. But since I was so so active, I never realized that doing subtle movements and things that are super slow could be so nurturing for me, especially dealing mm. with grief. And um, I discovered, uh, would say, last year, yeah. No, this year, actually, it was this year, I discovered this um, art form or of contemporary dance called Gaga Movement, which is an Israeli-based um, uh, dance that um, is super interesting because it was started out by a choreographer in uh, Tel Aviv, and it, it's for dancers and non-dancers, but it makes you shift through your emotions and your body. It works with your imagination as well, but it focuses on very specific areas of your body and then with your imagination. Um, and every teacher uh, gives it a little, like a little twist. For instance, the other day I went and took a class. It's about an hour and a half. Uh, and you just, you don't stop moving the whole time. I thought I would be really tired because I'm not a professional dancer or anything like that. Uh, but the first time I did it, I felt so exhilarated and it was so interesting because I kept wanting to shift my way into yoga. And I'll go, I'll go back, <laughs> back in, in, um, 
in, uh, in, in terms of time and explain to you how I started doing yoga. But, um, but Gaga has been really something that I find super interesting because one of the exercises was uh, you have to lie down on the floor and pretend that you're a piece of spaghetti inside of a pan. <laughs> and I thought that was so funny. And it was like, I love this because <laughs> this is so stupid. Yeah, you're kind of like... Not like melting, but softening. Softening, but at the same time, but imagine that the the pot is really, really hot and you're like, and you're like moving like really quickly. So now you're not spaghetti anymore. Mm. You're something else. And like everybody's giggling during the whole class. Um, I mean, this sort of relies on also the the teacher that's giving you this uh, guidance, but I thought that was so interesting. Um and with yoga, so the first time I did this dance class, I, I was already practicing yoga for quite some time. And one of the exercises was, so you're supposed to put your hands on the floor and your feet as well. And it sort of sounded like you're going to start doing a, a downward dog, but it wasn't anything like that. It was completely different. So the teacher kept yelling at me like, don't do a downward dog. <laughs> like, get your mind out of your yoga. Like, it's not, this is not yoga. Like, do something little bit more fluid and I kept thinking I've always considered myself to be such a fluid and a non um not I'm not gonna say conforming but um like someone who's not very rigid and uh I was like oh okay (laughs) so this is sort of this is sort of uh uh, the yoga has been creating boundaries in myself without even noticing boundaries or structure kind of depends on the on your point of view but I, I started practicing yoga on a weekly basis uh, after my mom passed away because it was something that she loved doing. And I kept thinking, I don't want to lose her memories, so I'm just going to practice yoga and do it as well. I, I really want to know more about, I guess, from like an internal space, like how you feel about mm-hmm. like how movement moves energy in the body and the kind of transformations that you've been feeling with things such as like the yoga, the meditation, the breath work, you know, how are these modalities really shifting things within you? How are they really helping you? Mm -hmm. What are you confronting? Right. That a dance class can be that you're just talking to yourself and you're having this rant and it's so beautiful because it's, takes you to this place where you're so raw and you feel like you're spaghetti in a pan, but all of a sudden you're, it's raining and you're the rain, you're a raindrop or you're a dog or so you're a little bit of everything. And, um, for me, that's what these practices have really meant feeling like I'm expanding, but I'm still comfortable in my own body. And one of the really interesting things about these classes is that everybody's perception and interpretation is going to be completely different and that's yeah it's all unique to you it's all unique to you and um what i wish uh and i'm probably going to suggest one of these classes we'll have at the end is just like a sharing circle because it's so um interesting to hear different different perspectives about things and how you can add up to different um how you can link certain movements and certain um experiences that you're having with your body or even just dancing with another person which for me sometimes is so nerve-wracking because yes it's not nerve-wracking in the sense that i feel like i have to 
be a certain way or, or act put on a show boy or something. It's like, or maybe it is because I feel like, um, I have to be a certain way. Like, Oh, I have to be so creative next to this person. Or I have to, you know, if it's a guy, I'm like, Ooh, um, am I smelling nice? Or am I seducing this guy? Or, and yes. it's like, who cares? <laughs> yes. And you I, externalize so yeah, fast. It, it's, it's insane. And, um, and I was, I kept having these thoughts when I was, um, when I was taking one of these classes the other day and, um, the cool thing is that it's so dynamic and there's so many things that change in the guidance of the teacher that uh, for me, it's like, okay, thank you. Like I really needed to be pushed onto this other room. Like I really needed to be guided and directed to another, um, to another thought and to another place. Now I feel a little bit more um, comfortable. And what I, what I, what I wanted to get to with this thought is that, when you're um, dancing with someone that's super different from you or even someone that sort of resembles you or just dancing like you're an inanimate object, pretending you're a rock, this can create so much empathy without you realizing because you're giving life to something that wouldn't have life. And that's so curious about our imagination is that um, it sort of gives life to things that usually we wouldn't link to something that's living. It's sort of like that game that you play with uh, kids. Like, why is a chair called a chair? Why is not why is it not called something else? And that for me has been um, sort of, it's been very insightful. Um, and it's been helping me create a little bit more of a kindness in myself and in other people as well. So because this all mm. this always um, helps you with your with your external relationships. Wow, yeah, because you're you're interfacing with with so many different pieces of reality and so many energies, whether it be someone else who you feel is more of a mirror mm-hmm. or someone else who you feel is more maybe in opposition. And what does that mean? What does that bring up for you, you know, emotionally or or mentally or physically even? What what kind of thoughts arise and how how you can be challenged by what comes up simultaneously as you're moving. I think that's really powerful because you're kind of letting your body take the lead, but you're also still paying attention to what is arising within you, which can be so scary, but also you can really learn so much about yourself just through one kind of practice, one movement, one piece of like a, a class, you know, so to say, um, even just like different styles of dance, like, ecstatic dance being one. Oh it's yeah. Just no no bounds. There's no rules. There's no right or wrong way to do it. It's literally just you move however the heck your body wants to move. And that can come with so many different insecurities, so many different thoughts, so many different judgments or associations. And it's really, really unsuspectingly powerful shadow work. Um so yeah, thank you for thank you for sharing that that piece. That's very 
insightful, honestly. It's uh, it's one of those unseen things that I feel when we talk about movement, we're really thinking so much about exercise or yeah. moving the body and, um, you know, getting your steps in or stretching or things like that, like physical wellness rather than, you know, what's the whole story here? And I think that's, yeah, that's where movement can really come through for a lot of different feelings or emotions that you might be going through um, and how tying it back to grief and change and loss, how you can move and give life to those feelings. How, you know, how does your grief want to move and allowing your body to move in that, in that way can be deeply healing because you're, engaging all aspects of yourself you know when you're journaling you're kind of you know yeah you're writing you're physically you know using your hand but there's ultimately no somatic deep physical energetic (laughs) uh change happening it's usually just mental and, and emotional but engaging the body can engage everything at the same time which is really special. For sure. One interesting uh, thought we can have as well, um, just before we end the, the, the talk, is that uh, people talk a lot about um, DMT, you know, that's created in our body, uh, which is something that you feel when you're, when you're born, when you die, when you're going through a very intense process in your life. But we can also produce that when we're dancing and mm. when we're um, doing something so powerful. Even breathwork can create DMT. You have all the holotropic breathing. So breathing really profusely, um, inhaling a lot more than you exhale can also create these patterns uh, in your brain that can create DMT. And so it's it's interesting how we can um, think about this as a way of Less is more, you know, you don't really need to take anything. You have your own, you have your body. Your body is such a powerful resource for everything. Wow. (laughs) So true. So true. So many chemical and hormonal changes that go on just totally hidden and unseen and just, you don't even, yeah, you don't even have to take a drug to kind of move this energy or, you know, feel happier or, this or that like the drug the chemical is already inside of us that has the potential to transform us so so deeply and so profoundly just by just by moving our bodies just by doing just by doing what's totally natural to us so cool anika thank you so much for coming on this was amazing Thank you too, Meg. It was a pleasure. I'm so excited to dance now. <laughs> it was, I, I thought about, I thought about things also in a very insightful way. So you kind of helped me, you know, you helped me navigate. This was also a dance, ah, it but was. a conversational it dance. It was. Conversation is such a beautiful dance. <laughs> Thank you so much. Until next time. Until next time. <laughs> I really hope you enjoyed today's conversation and were able to take something away. You can find all of Anika's information in the show notes. 
On the next episode, I'm going to be diving deep with a dear friend of mine all about science and spirituality, quantum physics, and so, so, so much more. I really hope to see you there.